This is Lead with a Question. Probably the most important skill is thinking out of the box, being a creative problem solver. Recipes, if you can reduce something to a recipe, that's going to be taken over by a robot. You know, so, so the creative process is going to be that golden glimmer of what keeps us human. Hi, I'm Rob Callen. We live in a time when people are seeing that the old way of doing business is broken and that leading into the future requires something new, a deeper focus on humanity, the courage to let go of power and ego, a desire to nurture the conditions for co-creation, and the bravery not to have all the answers. On this show, I, along with my friends Chris Deaver and Ian Clausen, Connect with guests who embody these principles, and whether household names or not, they've shattered the status quo, often as misfits, to shape the future with others and achieve miraculous things in work and life. What do the Atari Company and Chuck E. Cheese have in common? Well, besides offering a lot of options for entertainment, it might surprise you to learn that they were both founded by the same man a Silicon Valley entrepreneurial legend who holds the distinction as the first and only person to ever hire Steve Jobs. But rather than resting on his achievements, he's chosen to spend the autumn of his life, his words not ours, trying to understand how gamifying the learning process could supercharge the educational experience for the next generation. He'll help us consider, how can we create the school of the future? a conversation with Nolan Bushnell on this episode of Lead with a Question. Well, my name's Nolan Bushnell. I founded Atari and Chuck E. Cheese and automobile navigation and online shopping and a few other little crazy things, some of which have gotten crazy. But uh, I think the, the watchwords that I live by is if you want to live in the future, you need to invent it. And I kind of take that <laughs> to heart. But I'm also one of these guys that is a little bit fearful. I mean, I'm getting up in age and, you know, you can't help but get older. What I don't want to do is get dumber. <laughs> and so, so I've done a lot of deep diving on what it means to create neurogenesis, how you can keep your brain sharp through the autumn of your life. And uh, I think that there's a couple of very interesting things, like the act of retirement decreases your age by seven years. So can't retire. <laughs> and, uh, and, and second, there, there's just a lot of curiosity uh, that I still have. And so it's important for me to explore those things and try to have a definitive input. It'd be very easy for me, I think, to live my life in a rearview mirror, you know, and and talk about my laurels and all that. 
what's really interesting to me is what I'm working on now. And so I've got Exodexa, which is a educational uh, company. Uh, I've written a book with a uh, with Leah Haynes, and we are. Uh, it's a, basically a manifesto of how you bring education and teaching and learning up to the state of the art. I mean, it's it's amazing how. If you read the literature that's coming out of the PhD candidates in education, it's just horrible. But if you want to get some things, go over into the psychology department. All of a sudden, they've done some deep dives on what it is to learn, what it is to create. And so if you can't fix education inside, then you have to come in and be a little bit of a disruptive force, which I love. Incidentally, that's my sweet spot. I want to be the the, the crazy bastard that's fixing things. <laughs> you know, you know. If I were to say what I would like on my uh, my tombstone, it'd be uh, crazy. Dot dot dot. Like a fox. You know that kind of stuff. <laughs> little you know anarchy, and and you know. A lot of people don't realize that there is a sound ethos between being a prankster, being a little bit of a rebel, and innovation. You have to think differently. I mean, you know who I think is one of the biggest pranksters I know? Steve Wozniak. I mean, he was always just messing with you all the time. And I love that. And uh, I have a certain legacy. I could go into those misspent youth things and, and what have you. But uh, being a rebel is, is, is a good place to be. Well, certainly the, the venture you're dealing with now, as far as education, you introduced a form of entertainment for the three of us in our homes through Atari. And Chuck E. Cheese, I celebrated s- several birthday parties there. You know, that's where I, I, I learned about the economy with ticket redemption and prizes. <laughs> I, I find it fascinating, Nolan, that, you know, you, you have been sort of that rebel that is disrupting things over the course of time. And now it sounds like you're getting very intentional about that disruption, you know, not just to entertain folks, but to really have true meaning behind what you're currently creating. We'd love to know some more of your thought process around this venture. Sure. Um, I guess whenever you find a powerful tool or things that are very strong and powerful, they can be used for good and ill. You can create electricity with nuclear. You can blow things up. Um, I found the same thing with video game technology, that it turns out that video games get you into, into a flow state. And a flow state is where things are just hard enough to be challenging, but easy enough where it's not overwhelming. Turns out when you get into the flow state, that is the optimal environment for learning. And so... If video games can do that, can we gamify education in such a way that we create an ecosystem where kids 
are not just in the flow state about learning things, but are having fun and are challenged. And I mean, what would be better than to have a class in physics and you lose yourself in the material to the point where two hours go by and you think, whoa, I've just spent two hours and I've had the best time of my life. That's how education should be. And, you know, by the statistics, current schools are actually training out creativity. The creativity of a, of a kindergartner is significantly higher than by the time they're in sixth grade. And I think that's a that's that's really a uh, a a truncation that uh, that is painful because I believe that in the gig economy and the world that we're in now, probably the most important skill is thinking out of the box, being a you know being a creative problem solver, um, recipes. If you can reduce something to a recipe, that's going to be taken over by a robot. Uh, you know, so so the creative process is going to be that golden glimmer of what keeps us human and employed. Like I actually believe the education in the world, not just the United States, is broken right now, and that it's like they haven't realized that. Well, if you look at education throughout the world, lectures came about because of the expense and, and, and the difficulty of obtaining textbooks. And so the professor would actually read the textbook, kind of. Right. Today's schools really don't understand how powerful computers are to create individualized learning experiences. They also don't quite understand the difference between passive and active learning. When you read a book, watch a movie, that's all passive. Lecture, all passive. You're sitting there listening. Well, you're basically looking at stuff and listening to stuff 24-7 or well, all the time you're awake. What's to determine that's which you should remember and that which you shouldn't? And, uh, and it turns out the Socratic method is the key. By asking a question, it forces someone to think about it, to actually go in and create a difference between passive and active. Yeah, it's interesting, uh, the experience with gaming. And I watch my kids, you know, they're, they do, you know, they play Minecraft, they play other games. And they're in that flow state. And Isn't then they Minecraft go to, a great game? Oh, it's great. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, and, you know, they'll build together. They'll build, you know, islands or places. Uh, but then they go to school and, you know, I asked them after, you know, how did your day go? How'd that class go? Oh, boring, 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 right? Like, it's like that is the, the state of, you know, kind of, and, and, you know, statistically speaking, this is close to 100%, right? These are just out of my three kids. Um, they're all kind of having this experience. Yeah. And so the gap, you know, to your point is dramatic, right? Between where they are and where the experience could be. Uh, and, and I love what you described, right? Like why, why couldn't they have that kind of flow state experience that they have with Minecraft, Fortnite in the classroom? And what would that do, you know, for their experience and also being 
empowered as a creator uh, to you know engage in different ways. And it's great to see that you know you're having these kinds of conversations and there's work being done to address this. And it also feels like the gap is dramatic compared to comparative to where the workplace is or where it will be, right? To your point about AI. But even today, if you look at job descriptions, it's like there are a ton of them that just say creativity, they want creatives, and yet we're preparing this whole pipeline, you know, of talent and people for a future that doesn't exist. Post-industrial America. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Well, you know, from a personal standpoint, my youngest son, I, I couldn't keep him in high school. He said, I'm wasting my time. This is busy work. I've got better things to do. And he was programming from the time he was eight or nine, you know, and I, I have eight kids, five boys and three girls. And we had a local area network in my house before a lot of companies didn't have a local area network. You know, it was, they kind of in, grew, grew up in a, in a technological ecosystem. <laughs> in the, uh, in the eighties, I mean, in early nineties, when you had a network in your house, what you found is that your boys would bring their friends home after school and they'd be playing doom on the network, <laughs> you, know, you know, taking over my computer, their computers, what have you all over the house. And, uh, and so that immersion I think was really important, but fast forward, my son that dropped out of high school, he just did escape Academy with his company and he's going to make a million dollars this year. You know, who's to say, but, wouldn't it be great if we equip high school students that they have skills in which they could immediately get a couple hundred thousand dollar a year salary or start their own gig at 18? Totally sidestep the college debt problem and all that and uh, get off on life at, uh, at an early age and make, you know, and create some good stuff. Yeah. Now you're, you're highlighting a real, a real challenge, right? And I keep thinking of the quote Mark Twain would say, um, I never let my schooling interfere with my education and, you know, how kids are getting educated, right? If, if, and if they have access to right, all these resources, right, online, the ability to code, and, you know, why aren't yeah. we accelerating, right, that growth? Um, I, I'm curious, too, as we think about you know, that dynamic in the workplace, too, right? What you said about, you know, toxic environments. There are people who experience toxic bosses, right? And, and it's very common. It's actually probably 100% that have had some experience with some, you know, part of a culture or a company that they didn't really appreciate, right, with a toxic boss. Now, you're also known as an innovator in culture, uh, in Silicon Valley. Uh, you know, there was a time when you know, a lot, a lot, a lot of companies were either buttoned up or they were kind of following the, the model of the East coast. And, you know, a lot of folks went to Atari to, you know, have an experience that was high autonomy, right? It was, um, there was kind of a, uh, a more freestyle approach, right. To building and to making it playful and, and maybe it was the nature of the business too. But I'm curious, like what, what what are your principles around you know culture that you have experienced over time or that you've you feel strongly about that could benefit 
right? Leaders and cultures today. I believe the number one step is to be very clear about your foundation principles. And I determined with Atari that we were going to be laser focused on outcomes, not process. And once you say that you're going to be focused on outcomes, all of a sudden that loosens up a lot of other things. For example, time clocks. Do you need time clocks if people are focusing on outcomes? Does it matter whether the outcome is achieved in an hour or 16 hours? No. Does it matter if you're wearing flip-flops and bathing suit or a button-down shirt and a tie? No. The whole idea of outcome-based management is one, it's harder to be a manager when it's outcome because you have to be clear about what the outcomes you expect. You also have to be fair. You don't want to expect outcomes that are outside the purview of the individual or the situation. So you have to be a smarter boss to be an outcome-driven boss because that is where the, the secret sauce lies. Another part about outcomes is a lot of people, their natural proclivity is to micromanage. And what you do when you micromanage is you don't get anything better than you are. That's a problem. What I try to do is I try to define the outcomes loosely enough that I want my people to surprise me on the upside. Wow, that's a lot better than I thought it was going to be. That's, that's the sweet spot for me. And so it's a, it's a combination of trust. It's a combination of, of good outcomes. Um, but it's also an, one other thing. In my speeches lately, I've been giving, I say, the number one advice to entrepreneurs, don't hire dead people. And everybody gets a laugh, you know, and, say, and see what you, what you don't realize is probably half the population are dead from the neck up. They just don't know it yet. You know, that you want people that are alive in everything they do. And what we're really talking about is enthusiasm and passion. And I found that when I hire based on enthusiasm and passion, it always works. And when you hire based on pedigree or, or degrees or things like that, it's wishy-washy. But enthusiastic, alive people, no matter what the problem is, They'll figure it out and train themselves, or you can train them. Excellent. What What was it like, um, Nolan, having a co-founder in the early days, Ted? How did you find your rhythm? How did you figure out your roles? 
I'm curious because I have a co-founder with with Chris and you know it's it's always something we're trying to navigate. Well, I think that I was young and dumb and my co-founder primarily was important for me just to kind of be there and pick up some slack when, you know, that sort of thing. Ted was not as technical as I was, but he was a polymath on a lot of things. Like he built the first cabinet for the video game. You know, he, he was able to suss out the best deal for monitors early on. He and I had a sailboat together. And, um, but I hate to say this, but I was always kind of the senior partner and Ted didn't challenge me. I was kind of the, the big dog. And, and so I think to say it was a partnership was, is probably not right in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. One thing you, when you're talking to about talent and people, uh, you know, hire, not hiring dead people, hiring passionate people, and then giving them the outcomes, right. Or focusing laser focused on the outcomes. I know there's a legendary story about, you know, was, you mentioned was earlier and, and Steve jobs, you know, where you challenged, uh, I think it was Steve jobs to say, Hey, you know, uh, I want a game. And it was a specific kind of game. And I think it turned into breakout. And to your point about, you know, what people commit or don't to their, for their time, they worked overnight, or at least Waz did, right? Um, for several days yeah. to put that together. And it was probably like a project that would have taken way longer for anybody else, or at least, you know, in a, on a regular trajectory of work. But I, I guess the, the amazing thing is, is, you know, with that approach that you took, you created this uh, amplifying effect, right? Where people could bring their best and, you know, yeah, work all kinds of hours to make something amazing. And that's a great game. I mean, I, I love that game. Um, you know, Breakout's a classic. Uh, but I think it's just further proof of what you just shared before. Most people want to excel. You know, most people want to, for whatever reason, personal, you know, gratification from their peers, just self-gratification. They want to be special and they want to do neat things. That's great. You know, so, uh, you know, give them that opportunity. And, uh, you know, recipe players and, and corporate America, corporate world is just awash in recipe players. And recipes can get you so far. But then when you when there's an earthquake or, or a disruption or a singularity, I mean, you know, the whole pandemic can be looked at as a singularity. And because uh, like the world is going to be different from now on, no question about it. There will be those who understand that and participate in the change and are amplified by the change. And those that will find that they're in a Schopenhauerian, you know, creative destruction death spiral. And uh, so it's, it's always interesting whenever there is a disruption, how, how it sort of separates the recipe players from the innovators, the creative problem solvers. 
Yeah, we've we've had other conversations, Nolan, where we've where we've talked about kind of the difference between rule based leadership or rule based living and principle based leadership or principle based living. And um, there's a lot of power in finding true principles and adhering to those because those can be used in new and unfamiliar situations and um you know you can end up being a lot more agile and flexible than people who don't recognize that the paradigm is is over it's expired and yeah. um and the longer you hold on to that the more turbulence you're going to experience especially with with recent global events one question that i have is you know as you trace back to the roots of your your career um arguably an observer could say well you know the the work that nolan did focused a lot on you know entertainment or tools of entertainment and yet now you're you're focusing on you know societal questions and um you know challenges of the future and so was there a time in your career when you started to notice, hey, there may be other application for the things that I've I've been learning about in kind of the gaming industry, or maybe do you feel like it was it was something that was in your mind from the start? You know, what what can you say about that? I think it wasn't necessarily in my mind from from the actual start, but I think I started to mature and change. When I sold Atari, you know, that gave me a certain level of financial independence. There was also a, uh, it, it kind of relieved me of some of the burden of fighting cash flow every day and things like that. And so I think I was able to pull my head out of the foxhole a little bit and start thinking about what does it mean to be alive? And, uh, and this is going to sound, maybe a little bit pompous, but I started realizing that one person can actually create societal change to a greater or lesser extent. And, uh, and so I think I arrogantly felt that I could be what that person that could fundamentally change the world. And, uh, and, you know, it's, Unfettered arrogance, no question, but that kind of, you don't do things unless you think you can succeed on some level. So that optimism and arrogance, I mean, might be a necessary component. Um, And uh, I have a big family and I've always felt that the role of a father is real world, real life lessons and training of of your kids. You want to help them interface into the bigger world. I mean, mother's love is unconditional. She's going to love you no matter how big a serial killer you are. (laughs) She's, you're still her little boy. Fathers need to have a different attitude in which the real world doesn't care about you. You may be little Johnny, but nobody cares. And and a father needs to care about little Johnny, but wean 
little Johnny into a world that is indifferent, that is outcome-based. Johnny, you're maybe cute, but nobody cares. <laughs> and so I think it's important to help that transition. That's a long-winded way of saying that, that teaching my kids, and quite frankly, I, I'm really proud of them. They're all really, really successful adults now. And so I felt that maybe that's a gift that I can give back to the world of how do you, how do you create young people that are powerful, sensitive, passionate, empathetic, but most of all, capable. You know, how do you have very, very capable children? And I think that, that we can do that through training, through good schools, through good games. You know, gamification of education is real. I mean, Minecraft is an educational game. It, uh, you know, and, and uh, it's powerful. Was it started out as an educational game? I don't think so. But it was a great construct. And, uh, and it kind of grew into it. So kids playing Minecraft, are they smarter than they were when they started playing? Absolutely. Did they learn things along the way? Absolutely. And that's, uh, so what's better than being creative, playing micro Minecraft, learning stuff while you're having fun? That's a win-win all the way around. That's excellent. And just in the in the remaining time, I definitely want to give you an opportunity to maybe talk about what you're the most excited about for the future, whether it's related to um, Exodexa or anything else that you see on the horizon. What what gives you the most hope for the future? Well, I think Exodexa um, is um, is going to be a powerful learning platform. Um, I think that um, I've got two other projects. One is called Moxie, and it is a middleware, middleware um, game platform where if I think I'm better at Fortnite than you are, we can set up a, it's, it's a crypto thing with smart contracts and wallets. We can basically set up a wager which sets up a smart contract and whoever wins it transfers the value to the wallet of the winner. And uh, I think that's really cool. And we, uh, we think that we have uh, Moxie, which is a token, which will have some value, uh, nominal value, and you'll be able to wager. And then all the rest of the smart contracts and the blockchain, UHA is taken care of. So it becomes a secure and safe transaction portal. The other thing I'm working on is a thing called Atari Labs, which is a new kind of game center that I'm that I'm creating. And I, I deep down inside, I still have a real love for coin-operated arcade environments. You know, whether it be Chuck E. Cheese with pizza, but the Atari Labs is a whole series of bespoke games that. You cannot play at home. You know, the, the infrastructure is too big and, and uh, space consuming and uh, different. 
and uh, I've reimagined mini golf. I've reimagined uh, bowling. I've reimagined, uh, you know, X's nose football or, you know, track and field. These are some of the favorite games. And now you can play them with your feet as well. So, you know, if soccer can be a, a, a major sport, it should be a, a, a video game. You know, it should be a foot operated video game that is soccer like for chance. That's kind of stuff. Well, that's great. Was there anything else that you wanted to share with us during our time together today? Oh, I appreciate it. And well, just um, go out and buy, you know, 10 or 20 copies of, of uh, School of the Future when it comes out and give them to all your friends because it's a manifesto of how we can change education. And if we can change and fix education, we can fix the world. And I think that's an important construct. This episode of Lead with a Question was produced by me, Rob Callen, with support from my co-hosts and BraveCore founders, Chris Deaver and Ian Clausen. The music you heard was composed by Ian as part of another project he's involved in called Moon Machine. Dave Arcade created our podcast cover art. Special thanks to Nolan Bushnell for bringing so much passion to the topic of educating the next generation. Nolan's company, Exodexa, is working to provide every child on planet Earth with a state-of-the-art education. Learn more at exodexa.com. That's E-X-O-D-E-X-A dot com. If you want to learn more about the work we're doing at BraveCore, you can check out our website at bravecore.co. The Lead with a Question podcast is a production of BraveCore LLC. Thanks for being with us.